in a little while, we're going to turn to Luke 14. But first, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, that everything we do, every gift we offer, every talent we exercise is null and void without the presence of your Spirit. So we thank you that you saw fit and you still see fit to to uh, peel back a corner of heaven's curtain and pour out your spirit among us and allow us to sense and to feel your presence this morning. And even more than that, I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit does in each one of us in these times when we are in the midst of the working of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we submit ourselves to that work this morning. And we will rejoice, as we've sung this morning multiple times, we will rejoice when everything's falling apart, and we'll rejoice when everything's going great. Because our rejoicing is not, is not in the circumstances, but our rejoicing is in you. Lord, let us hear your voice this morning. Let us see with revelation eyes. And we pray in the name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen. Amen. We're starting a little bit of an unusual series today. It's not a book book series. Um, this comes out of, and of course, uh, I've entitled this today, Reaching Out From the Church. Everybody say, From. I uh, was talking some time ago about the fact that there's a growing and a credible sense among leaders and folks in the body of Christ that there uh, that we're we can expect a revival of some sort uh, in the coming days. And I don't know if that means next week or next year, but I'm hearing more and more people talk about a move of God in people's hearts and bringing people into the kingdom of God. And I I mean a, a revival. Uh, where the whole world will know that it's going on. I'm not talking about just some isolated event. And we were talking last week at, at lunch. Um, I don't want to be a name dropper, so I'm not going to mention that it was Ricky Skaggs and I were talking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when, when the Supreme Court uh, ruled that the issue of abortion would be returned back to the states, thus eliminating or overruling or overturning, in their words, the Roe versus Wade lawsuit or issue, which was based on a lie anyway. When that happened, something happened in the heavenlies. There's no way it couldn't. There's no way that a country that was facing the curse of the murder of 60 million babies, there's no way that could not be turned around when, then, when that uh, ungodly and dastardly decision in 1973 was overturned. There's no way that it cannot release the blessing of God, especially on us who reside in a state where our leaders have determined 
that we will not kill babies in Tennessee. And so you, if nothing else happened, and plenty has and plenty will, but if nothing else happened, you can expect the outpouring of God's Spirit and the blessing of God by just that one thing. And so what do we have to do? What, what do you, we, we can say, whoo, thank you, Jesus. We got a revival coming. Hallelujah. I think often about the, the, the 120 in the upper room. On the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and somebody said, what's Peter doing talking? Why is he up there? You know, they knew Peter. And so Peter got up and preached a message and 3,000 people came to Christ. And think about the 120. They had to be looking around. Um, what are we going to do with these folks? There's 3,000. There's 120 of us. 3,000 of them, what in the world are we going to do? Well, I pray we have that problem. We have to prepare for a harvest. What are you going to do with a harvest? Well, you, 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 you got to do more than just find more chairs. You got to do more than just build bigger church buildings. You got to do more than just add services. And by the way, I know I'm sticking to mud. I'm just not in favor of multiple services because you wind up with more than one church. You wind up with two churches or three churches. We went to visit a church one time. We went to their 10 o'clock service. They'd had an 830 service. We, we walked in as folks were walking out and it occurred to me, we were in another state. It occurred to me as we were walking in that not one of those people that was coming out of that first service had any idea whether we had brand new visitors or we'd been there 10 years. They had no clue because it was two different churches. So anyway, that's, that didn't cost you any extra. <laughs> Might make you mad at me. I don't know. But we have to be prepared for, for a harvest, for the harvest. I don't know what that looks like. Well, I know what it looks like because I lived through the Jesus movement, the Jesus revival days, and the charismatic movement. I lived through all of that, and I'm still living I'm still moving. <laughs> My wife says not faster enough, and not as quick as I used to. But I said to the elders recently, the most important component we have in preparing for the harvest is not this. It's not Sunday morning. This is great. I mean, I look forward to this. I hope you do too. Um, but the most important component that we have in preparing for and handling the harvest are our small groups. If somebody said today you have to choose between Sunday morning and the small group, I'd choose the small group. I'd never meet on Sunday morning again because it's so valuable. By the way, we're going to keep meeting on Sunday morning until we. I would like this to be the afterthought. And the, the small groups be the pinnacle of who we are. I'd like this to be the celebration of what happens in your week. And engaging with people, I'd like this to be the celebration of, not, of that, not the pinnacle of all that we are. I'm, I'm going to go down too many rabbit holes, but I don't. And we have small groups 
This is not a message about small groups, so I don't, don't get nervous. Not so we can gain attendance records, I mean counting, and we can gain a bunch of numbers. Y'all know me. If you know me at all, you know that long ago, I left the book of Numbers and got in the book of Acts. <laughs> but the small groups are for organic growth. If a small group does not become organic, it's just another meeting. In some ways, it's just a club. And we have a number of small groups, and we, we're going to be adding some more. You'll be hearing about one soon that will be added, and hopefully some more. But I want those, all of those to be organic, whatever the nature of the groups. The groups we have now are all different. One thing we have in common is that they're organic in nature. When you start talking about that, about the harvest, you have to think about our contribution, our as a local church, contribution to caring for the harvest as community citizens. Every local church, every local church has a responsibility in a locale to uh, to care for their part of a harvest. You'll notice your bulletin for years we've said this. The Abundant Life Church is a local expression of the church of Middle Tennessee. By the way, this is our outline today. This is our bulletin for the for the sermon. Um, a local expression of the Church of Middle Tennessee, and so every local congregation has that responsibility. We have to determine our responsibility and what we might be able to do. It, you know, what happens if hundreds of people begin to come to Christ? And thank God, we're not the only church in Mount Juliet. I know there are churches who think they are. And you hear terms like, that's the best church ever. You know, I don't know how you can have a best church. Uh, you know, you might say, this is the best church. There's no way that can be true. It's the best church for you. And it's where you belong. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Go back and listen. Uh, I don't know how long ago I did it, but I did a series, a short series on dual citizenship, navigating this dual citizenship, that on the one hand, we are Americans, we are Tennesseans, and we function in that, in that climate, but in a greater sense, we are citizens of heaven, and we have a responsibility. So what, what I want to do over, ostensibly over the next four Sundays is talk about our DNA. If we're going to make a contribution to the harvest and handle part of the harvest, whatever that, whatever that amounts to, then we, we need to have a fresh idea of our DNA. Now I usually do something like this every anniversary Sunday, which uh, is always the first Sunday in March. But it's, I do it briefly and I run through it pretty quick. So what I normally would take 40 minutes or 45 minutes or 50 or 60 or 75, uh, depending on how long you can sit there. What I normally would, would, it's going to take four Sundays to do that. For those of you watching at home or wherever, on sitting on the side of the road, you're really bored if you're doing that. <laughs> this applies everywhere. This is, I mean, this is our DNA. But what I'm going to talk about applies to every believer, whether you're a part of another church 
whether you're not in a church at all, it applies to all of us. So if you're watching online, either live or at some point in the future, and you wake up and you hear me talking, uh, this talk, I'm reaching out to you. Turn with me to Luke 14, if you haven't already. I just want to read a, a passage here um, about the parable of the great banquet. And uh, I'm, if you've, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If you would stand with me while we read the Scripture. And I'm starting in the middle of a, of a paragraph. Anyway, it says, He, this is Jesus, also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers and or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I married a a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges. Old King James says byways there. And compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You can be seated. Now, uh, the context of this passage is largely dealing with the Jews and the Pharisees and the Gentiles and how that the Jewish nation had rejected Jesus. But in the context of this story, he gives us a lot of lessons. On the front of your bulletin are four items. Uh, there's an acronym, which is also on the wall in the in the foyer, uh, that years ago the elders and I were sitting right here. We actually were sitting on this stage, and uh, we began to develop, uh, we didn't know what to call it. It's not a mission statement, because a mission statement, uh, it, it describes where you want to go, what you want to do, but it actually becomes our DNA. We identified who we are and what we are. And that, we don't, we don't, uh, uh, assume for a second that every congregation should have these items in their DNA. Every congregation is different. Some more different than others. Okay. And so on the front of your, your bulletin, you have preparing God's people for the mission field of life. And then right under that, you have the acronym REAP. And so what I'm hoping to do over the next four Sundays, 
is to deal with those four letters, R-E-A-P. Today, we're talking about reaching out to the lost and unchurched of our community. That was the very first thing we thought to put as far as identifying what who we are and what we're doing, what we want to do. Reaching. So we'll start today with reaching out to the lost. And the operative word is reaching out. If you haven't um, heard the message that I did a year or two ago, and I think I even did a repeat recently, or maybe it's longer than a year or two, um, called On the Corner of Circle and Vine. Uh, Cheryl just happens to have some on flash drives if you want, because <laughs> I know some of you will give you a CD. What am I going to do with that? But we talk, I'm, So I'm going to skip a lot of stuff that I said in that message, and you'll just have to go back and listen to it. It's probably on the podcast. Out, reaching out, because we have long since realized that God's spiritual economy is not our standing at that door out there yelling out into the community, hey, y'all get in here. I mean, you, you understand that when I was growing up, that's how we did church. We stood at the church doors and yelling, hey, y'all get in here. Not that that was wrong, but I can tell you right now it'd be wrong for us anyway, because that's not our DNA. We're reaching out to the lost. Uh, those of you who've been here any amount of time will remember that at one time on that back wall back there, right above Chris Spencer's head, we had this written up there, a quote by Jim Newsom. By the way, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes by Jim Newsom. Today. The church is not to be a haven until heaven, nor a refuge until the rapture. It's an army whose focus is outward, whose soldiers, everybody say, I'm a soldier. Say a little louder. Okay. Whose soldiers are deployed in the malls, the businesses, and neighborhoods where the lost live, play, and work. Just look at that thing just a minute because you could never find a better quote to describe reaching out. And you could never find a quote. The reason it was on that wall for so long until we painted uh, is that it, it is our DNA. It's who we are. Reaching out. from We reach out from the confines of a structure, and I don't mean a building, but a structure called a church, we reach out from that to wherever they are. We find them, and one of the things I dealt with, and of course i got to give credit, and I did in that message, that I got this concept and this idea from Brother Charles and his book, Ants, Vines, and Churches, before he ever wrote the book, we talked about it. How that a vine grows out, and whatever a vine touches, it attaches itself to. And if you, if you had a vine sitting here and it grew out in that front door and it went out into the community, everywhere it touched, it would attach. And this is sort of like what the church does. As we go out, reach out, whatever, wherever God brings our steps, we wind up attaching in some form to whatever, whomever we come in contact. And that's our mission. Our mission is to reach out from the church to the lost. And we'll talk about unchurched later. But reach out to the lost wherever they live, play, and work as God's soldiers. 
And, of course, comes to mind the old hymn, Onward, Christian Soldiers. Let's talk about the lost. Jesus indicated to us the seriousness of this when he, in dealing with Zacchaeus, the wee little man, he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, who he was talking of himself, and as I've said before, they would understand, all the Jews present would have understood when he said the Son of Man, he was speaking of the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He's come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is concerned for the lost. Jesus is concerned for those who are not in his kingdom. Who are the lost? Well, it's easy for us to say that the lost are those without God. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's absolutely true. Anyone without God is lost. It's interesting. The word that is used here for lost is a word that means to abolish, to put an end to ruin. It's a word that means to render useless. Someone said it's not the, it's not ceasing to be, but it's ceasing to be and have well-being. Someone said the word lost there is really a word that means to perish. P-E-R-I-S-H. It's not just wandering. It's not just losing our way. And then, of course, in the, there is a definition. But in the biblical sense, to be lost is to be in a place that we have been rendered useless. We have been destroyed. We have been, we have perished and are perishing. Where people, Paul wrote, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope. How much more destroyed could you be to be a person with no hope? People with no hope are desperate. People with no hope do things they would not normally do because they have no hope. Of course, he goes on to say, to you and I and to all followers, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near, which is where our hope comes from. I'm thinking of the, another old hymn, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. And I'm thinking of the scripture that said that God was not willing that any should perish. Seek and save that which is lost. Twice in this passage and in this example, Jesus mentions the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And I want to tell you today, that is our mission field. Too often in the modern church and in the Western church, we want to find people who have seemingly have their life together, their act together, and have a big fat checkbook. We want to find people who are successful and so they can bring their success into the church with their big fat checkbook. 
<laughs> I'm not opposed to big fat checkbooks. I kind of wish I had one. I got a nice checkbook. It's got LSU all over it. So anyway, I guess it is fat. But when we, when we see with spiritual eyes out there, I'm going to point, I'll usually point that way because Lebanon needs it too. <laughs> spiritual eyes, if you will look, you'll see people who are crippled, who are poor, who are lame, who are blind, and they may not have any physical problems, most likely will not. But they're still poor and crippled and lame and blind because they've been destroyed by death and by our enemy or being destroyed. And when we reach out, we're reaching out to people who are hurting. Sometimes you wonder why people who are wealthy don't come to Christ is because they have fooled themselves into thinking they got everything they need. But people who are crippled and lame and blind, they're not deluded at all. They recognize. Then he said, go find those in the highways and the hedges. Of course, ultimately what he's referring to there are the Gentiles. Go find those further out. As far out as you can go, get them, bring them in. What, bring them into the church building? That's okay. But boy, bring them into the kingdom. I mean, I said recently, y'all going to think I never want you to invite anybody to church. But, boy, I'd sure rather you invite them to Jesus first. So what are we supposed to do with these folks? What are we supposed to do? Reaching out to the lost. Well, he says, he tells us real clear, compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. Now, you might think this is, and it's in some ways in the Bible, it is interpreted this way, that it compel theirs just to beat them up and force them. You can't force anybody to come into the kingdom. You, you're going to have to help have the help of the Holy Spirit or it's not going to happen. Compel them. It's a strong word. It means to strongly urge or persuade people. It, it means, carries with it this, do this, don't delay. It carries with it a sense of urgency when you're talking to people. I believe if God leads you to go talk to someone or to meet someone who needs to know Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe if that's, if he leads you, y'all, y'all know the saying where God guides, he provides. That's not just for missionaries. If God leads you and guides you to a place where you are engaging with someone, I believe the Holy Spirit is present and working. So strongly urge and persuade to hear that voice and respond. Here's what it's going to take for us to do that, and that is that we see the people. Matthew 9, 36 in the New American Standard says this, Jesus Seeing the people felt compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Seeing the people. I like that version because it's, I mean, all the rest of them are fine, but I like that version because it says, seeing the people. He saw them. 
Someone said to me recently, I'm not going to go into who it was or where it was, but someone said to me recently, you spoke to so-and-so uh, the other night, and you talked to them, and they told me that you saw them. And I'm just having a normal conversation. But they said, you looked at this person, and this person told me that you looked at them and you saw them. You know, there's a difference in seeing someone and really seeing someone. And if we don't see the people, Jesus saw them. And when he saw them, what was his response? He felt compassion. If you don't feel compassion, you don't really see them. Well, you know they're there. You know they're occupying a spot, but you don't really see them. And for us to be responsible with the harvest, we got to ask God, let me see. Open my eyes and let me see a people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because I can tell you they're out there. We go treasure hunting. If you get my latest book, I I think there's some still out there. You can contribute to the Acapulco Slush Fund if you go get a book. Truth is, I don't get a nickel from those books out there anyway. Treasure hunt. There's a, there's a chapter on let's go treasure hunting in that book. And we talk about how that Jesus' method to reach out and bring people into his company was a method of infiltration. Even when he was talking to Zacchaeus, he didn't tell, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree. I'm taking you to the synagogue. Let's go to the synagogue. He didn't tell him that. What he told him? Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus immediately thought, oh, I hadn't swept and I got this mess. I've been out taking everybody's taxes. (laughs) Jesus walking down the shore of Galilee, he saw some guys fishing. He didn't say to them, hey, guys, get out of that boat and come go to the synagogue with me. He didn't say that. Y'all think I hate church, don't you? I don't. What I hate is when we, we have churchianity instead of Christianity. He said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And, of course, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they jumped up, took off. And James and John, the scripture says, left their father Zebedee. And followed Jesus. Infiltration. He was in the midst of them. He was, he was, a, he was part of them. He began to mingle with some smelly fishermen whom he recruited into his party. Smelly fishermen. I grew up on the Gulf Coast. My wife and I grew up on the Gulf Coast. We know what smelly fishermen smell like because I, I have been the one. He went into the marketplace, made friends, which is Zacchaeus. He found a tax collector in the marketplace. A tax collector, which was the the vilest thing you could be in that day. And he said, Matthew, you come follow me. And he did. He he came, but he didn't. Where did he find him? In the marketplace. I want to tell you, you're going to find more people 
who want to come to Christ and who need to come to Christ, and they're going to come to Christ, you're going to find more people in the marketplace than sitting in that blue chair. It just doesn't work that way anymore. He said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's given his attention to sinners. Why? Because they have need. Psalm 126 talks about our bag of seed. And you've heard me mention that numerous times, that we at all times are carrying around our bag of seed, sowing, ready to sow the seed of the kingdom. Once again, quoting Jim Newsom, he said, it is a serious thing to be reconciled to God and not become a reconciler for God. It's a serious thing to accept reconciliation with God the Father and then consume that upon yourself without, as the old movie said, I guess it's old now, pay it forward, without paying it forward without sending it to someone else. We see the parable about the treasure hidden in the field, pearl of great price and the treasure, and how the man found it and it was valuable. I want to submit to us today that Christ has hidden treasure that he joyfully purchased with all that he had. Jesus has hidden treasure throughout the world that he purchased He gave everything he's got to purchase that treasure. The world is full of hidden treasure in the form of human beings. that we have been assigned the task of engaging with them the good news. So the Lord Jesus can recover his treasure that has been stolen from him by our enemy. We go treasure hunting. And we're finding hidden treasure, so to speak, and seeing it redeemed back to its rightful owner. And I say it, we're talking about people. Back to its rightful owner. You say, well, I'm not a theologian. I I don't have, I can't quote all the Bible. Well, there's not many people who can. I can't explain it all. Not, not many people who can. But here's what P- Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How, how easy is that? Just be ready. Be ready to give an account, one version says, of the hope that's in you. Do you have hope? You can say Yes. If you have hope, then you got something to say. Recently, we were talking about in John 9, the blind man. They said uh, he, Jesus healed the blind man. And they said, come on now, tell us. He's, he's a sinner, isn't he? You know he's a sinner. Say he's a sinner. And they, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. They said, no, that man, he healed you. He's got to be a sinner. Go ahead and tell us he's a sinner. He said, I'll tell you what. I can't say whether or not he's a sinner. I can tell you this much, though. <laughs> I was blind, but now I can see. And sometimes, saints, that's all the testimony you need. You don't have to have some 
deep theological quote. You don't have to be, you don't have to impress people with all the Bible verses you can quote. Just tell them, I was blind, but now I can see. And they said, oh no, something, they said, had to be more to it going. What about, what about how did he heal you? He said, why do you ask all these questions? Do you want to be one of his disciples too? I love this guy. And ultimately, they kicked him out or whatever he was in. I don't know. Why? Because he just had a simple answer. Your simple answer is, I was lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It doesn't have to get any more complicated than that. And there are people in your life every day that you as a vine have come in contact with. There are people in your life every day that need to know the hope that's in you. Not that you're perfect. Not that you got it all figured out. They don't need to know the regularity of your church attendance. They need to know the hope that's in you. I wish some of your regularity would pick up a little bit. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. Reaching out to the lost. Reaching out to the unchurched. When we talk about unchurched folks, what do we want to do with these folks? When we find people, and I, I dare say that you know, somebody, I've heard statistics. I don't know how, where, they, where it comes from. It's probably true because like, it comes from reliable people. But somebody said that 80% of the people in Wilson County are unchurched. I don't know if that, that if you start doing the math, that's probably not that far off. What do we want to do with these folks when we find them? Well, we want to draw them into community. I hate to keep saying this, but our goal is not to have a bigger church. That's not our goal. It's not my goal. You got the wrong pastor. If that's the goal you want. Our goal is to draw people into community. And here's the irony that as you draw people into the community that are unchurched, Many times, not even sometimes, they don't come to our church. I've dealt with people over the years, and they've been kind of messed up and backslid and need some help. And I've kind of talked them, walked through them with it, you know, counseled them and prayed with them, and just you know, and they say, you know what, man, I'm 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 right with God again. I'm really glad. I'm going back to the church I used to go to. Now, some pastors will go chase them down and lasso them. And I, I, I drive them down there if I can. I'm not driving them away necessarily, although I have, you know. Some of the best growth we have is by, uh, best addition we have is by subtraction. But what we want to do is Bring them into a place that they're part of a community or a spiritual family. That's what we want. Because people who are unchurched, and we'll define unchurched as those who are Christians but are not involved in a local body. You say, well, I didn't think that was possible. Well, it's not for us to define. But there are a lot of people who have been redeemed by Jesus who are not part of a local body, not fellowshipping, a part of a community. To me, they're malnourished and they're deficient or missing something. And I don't mean just Sunday morning sitting here. I mean, there are all kinds of spiritual families. 
But to understand that from the head, the whole body nourished and knit together. Everybody say knit together. Through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. To understand that a person who is unchurched is is out of the loop, so to speak, of being knit together with other believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that doesn't go to church on Sunday morning, but they are part of a, maybe they meet on Friday nights with a group of five couples or something every week. Hallelujah. That's a spiritual family. I'm talking about people who have no contact, who have no fellowship on a regular basis with some local community of people, faith people. That's who I'm talking about. To be knit together. And when you're, when we're knit together by God, we grow with a growth that is from God. But you can't be knit together if you're not, what? Together. The key to all that is that God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. The reason Well, there are several reasons, but I'll say it this way. The reason that this place is not full, every blue chair full, is because God, well, some of it you got a poor preacher, but but the rest of it, (laughs) kid gave the preacher a dollar bill. He said, why don't you give me that? My daddy said, you're the poorest preacher we ever had. (laughs) No, the reason is God places the members in the body as he desires. See, he, he puts people where he wants them. People say, you know, come here and, and they'll come in the door and they'll say, you know, we're just, we're just looking. We just moved to town. We're just trying to determine, you know, we're just shopping around some churches. And I always say the same thing to every one of them. Some of you, I've said it to you and you're still here. Thank you. Um, you know what I want for you is to find home. If this is home, uh, we're 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 selfish enough and jealous enough. We'd love for this to be your home, but we don't want it to be your home if it's not your home. God places the members as it, as it suits Him. I mean, He He didn't I, He hadn't asked me for a vote yet. If He asked for you for one, let me know. And when we deal with unchurched people, sometimes they're going to wind up somewhere else. I'd love for them to be here, so, you know, in most cases. I'll tell you this much. I do not want one person here that God does not want here because all you got then is trouble. First Corinthians twelve eighteen says we're individually members of the body of Christ. Individually. Each one of us are members of of the body of Christ. Paul wrote in Romans, one body in Christ and, oh shoot, that thing always trying to tell me I'm done. We're going to stop you. One body in Christ and individually members of one another. There are people who are unchurched who are, should be, and are members of one another, but they're out of joint, so to speak. There's no life. Now, you have to talk about the reasons for people being unchurched. And one of the main reasons that people give for being unchurched is that they've had a negative experience with a church. Well, go figure. (laughs) 
you know, if human beings are involved, you're going to have a negative experience. In some cases, it's, you know, it's abuse or it's, it's, uh, grosser than the normal, but everybody has negative experience. But for whatever reason, there are people who've had a negative, well, I went to a church one time. You went to a church one time? I mean, I went to that church down there and they, they, they said this, they said, they wouldn't let me sing in the choir. You can't sing in our choir, I can tell you that. Because we don't have a choir. Negative experience, but if you talk to most people who, oh, I, I'm not doing that again. I learned my lesson. And you got to offer somebody something else besides what they ran into before. Negative experience. Pastor might have been verbally abusive. You might have, who knows? Maybe the pastor was putting his big toe over into some, some heretical pools. Maybe, maybe he wasn't all the way a heretic, but maybe he was embracing something that was not biblical. Negative experience. Well, that, you know, obviously we, I hope we all know better than to write off the Lord Jesus and his church because something happened over here. Some people just drifted away. Some of the unchurched have just drifted. I want to tell you something, and some of you have experienced this. It's real easy to get out of the habit of being part of a body. Real easy. I mean, every one of us have a propensity to be lazy. Okay, maybe I'll say it this way. I have a propensity of being lazy. It's easy. It's real easy because you, 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 you know, in our case, let's talk about Sunday morning or one of the small groups. Our case, you miss one. Well, it's okay if I miss one. No big deal. And then you miss two. I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still, I'm going, still going to heaven. You miss three. Well, I'll just watch it on TV. Oh Lord, I just made somebody mad. I don't know who it is, but. And you wind up just drifting away. And you get out of the habit of joining together with God's people. Whatever form that takes, again, I'll hasten to, or I'm being, I'm being repetitive, whatever form that takes, you get out of the habit of joining together. I think one of the reasons that people are unchurched, there's a word, de-churched, and I think that's another one. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> I think people are desiring truth with reality. My own personal belief is, is that's what young people are searching for. There's a reason we don't have smoke machines. There's a reason we don't have strobe lights. For one thing, I can't stand them. But I don't think young people, I mean, that's fine, concerts and stuff and all that excitement and stuff. But at the end of the day, when I talk to young people, they want the truth. They want you to tell them the truth. They want to know the truth. All that other stuff is just peripheral. When you talk to people who are unchurched, in most cases, if they're true, if they are Christians, and they want truth and they want reality. They've dealt with enough facade. They've dealt with enough uh, flesh. <laughs> they want truth. 
with reality. I found a, a an account of a guy named Tony. Now, if your name, I don't know if anybody here is named Tony, maybe. Tony Paoletta. Had to be one of those days you wasn't leaving early, Tony. <laughs> this is not Tony Paoletta. It's somebody else. So now we know there's at least two people named Tony in the world. And this guy was writing, and he was doing his research on what about unchurched people. What, what can we do to reach unchurched people? And he said, this, this guy, Tony, whoever he is, I don't, know, I don't even know what state this guy's in. He said, he talked about him. He said, he no longer attends any church, unchurched, or small group, or Bible study. He hasn't abandoned his faith in Jesus. He's just done. Everybody say done. You hope that you was wishing I was done. He's just done with what Jesus' church has become. Now, in some ways, I'm going to join in on that. <laughs> Not all the church. I, I think I think the major, largest majority of God's church is on track. But every now and then I hear about stuff, I'm going, hmm, okay. He's just done with what Jesus' church has become. So he's talking about this unchurched guy. Evidently, this guy has a blog. This, this guy said, I'm over the concerts and the speeches and the contrived effort to call a gathering of 3,000 people a family. Now, I'm not opposed to a church of 3,000 people. I must let you know I'm opposed to being the pastor of one because I know churches that do have 3,000 people that are a spiritual family. You know why? Small groups. Church I was ordained in in Baton Rouge at that time was called Bethany Baptist Church. Pastor was a man by the name of Brother Roy Stockstill. At that time, they had about 2,000 people. Today, that church is known, I think, unless they've changed the name again, as Bethany World Outreach. I think the pastor is now Jonathan Stockstill, who's the grandson of Roy Stockstill. And I believe they're the largest cell church in the United States. And they have about 10,000 people. But the reason they have they can manage that is they got cell groups. Their whole congregation is based on small groups. Anyway, here's what Tony said. Tony wrote, not that Tony, wrote in his blog. What I value now is proximity. The only leaders I care to hear are those willing to know me and be known. Not in some official capacity over Starbucks with their church credit card in hand, but with a friend. A person living honestly in their own right with no agenda or line to keep, but possessing the strength of character to have their own voice, their own doubts, and their own convictions. 
the sum total of that is he's looking for truth with reality. No agenda. No, no promotion. No sales pitch. You ain't got to worry about me meeting him at Starbucks. I don't like Starbucks. <laughs> but the point, you know, you get the point. Some professional approach to this guy. I'm not looking for a professional. I'm looking for a friend. And I can tell you today that anybody that you engage with that we would we would define as unchurched, I can tell you today they're not looking uh, for anything except a friend to be real with them. I believe you can do that. As a congregation, we do not need to change who we are to reach people. I've, over the years, I've, we need to do this and we smoke machine. Or nobody's ever suggested that, but we need to do this. No, we, we don't need to change who we are. We need to be who we are and be real with people. And we can reach. Stand with me. And I'll just make this statement and we'll close. Reach out while you are going. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. We'll deal with that next week, actually. Can be translated better while you are on your way or as you are going, make disciples. In other words, let God guide your footsteps. Live your life. You go to work, go to work. You go to play, go to play. Whatever. Let God guide your footsteps and, and lead you through your life. And as you are going through these steps, make disciples. As you are going, reach out. Reach out. Everybody say out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so happy for this example that you gave us about inviting Folks, into the banquet, that your kingdom would be full. We're grateful that you even gave us the example of the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, understanding we're just looking for people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that we would uh, have open eyes, that we could see the people. We could see the people. And as a result, that we could feel compassion on them and with them. As we go out into the various places that you send us throughout the week, throughout the day, I pray that we would be like that vine. We would find ourselves coming in contact with those lost and unchurched that we could reach out to and bring them in. You would give us the grace and the wisdom to compel them to come in in that time. Make us all ambassadors of Christ. Let us all function as ambassadors of Christ with the message of reconciliation. I do thank you for this time today, and I thank you that you, you're you not done with, uh, with this word, and you're not done working this word in us. You're not done teaching this word to us, but as we go about our, our day and our business, you will continue to teach this to us. Make it real. I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, God bless you. You're dismissed.